All right. Welcome again. It's great to see everyone. And we are back on track with our book of Nehemiah study. Um, and that basically doesn't mean much because we're still in chapter one. But uh, we are going to camp out for one more week in Nehemiah chapter one. And we are going to look at <clears throat> what the Holy Spirit has to say to us here through Nehemiah's prayer. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through uh, this prayer again. Uh, for those of you that may just be joining us, um, Nehemiah um, was uh, a, a tool of God used to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And this is uh, one of the last historical books in the Old Testament. And so right after Nehemiah, we have um, the book of Malachi, and then we have the intertestamental, uh, inter-testamental period where there isn't any uh, word from God, and then we have the New Testament. And so as God promised throughout the whole uh, exile, he would have his people return to Jerusalem and they would rebuild the temple. And so the temple had already been rebuilt by um, Zerubbabel uh, sometime before this, but then the work was stopped. And so the work was then stopped and then it started again. And uh, we see that in the first seven chapters of the book of Ezra. And then there's a gap. And so Nehemiah hears about the fact that, you know, Jerusalem is in shambles still. Although the foundation of the temple and the temple is built, uh, he talks about the fact that, in, in, um, and this won't be up on the screen, I don't believe, but they said in verse 3, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. And then Nehemiah says, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so we're going to now, last time we were together, we looked at this prayer from more of a theological covenantal perspective. And there was some application that we got from that. But today I really want to camp out in here and see what we can extract from this prayer as practical applications for our own prayer life. So listen to Nehemiah's prayer. This is verse five. He said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, On behalf of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. Verse seven, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Verse eight, remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses. He's recalling the promises of God here. Back to God. He said, if you are unfaithful, this is what God said, I will scatter you among the peoples. And that's what happened. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the remotest part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I've chosen to cause my name to dwell. So Nehemiah is bringing these promises up to God and saying, God, this is what I want to do. I want to return the people of Israel back to this land. Verse 10, 
They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name. And almost as a by by the way here, and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. So this whole uh, prayer took place in the month of Chislev, which is the ninth month of the Jewish calendar. Now the very next verse, which is chapter two, verse one, we see it came to pass. You don't have this up there. Just listen here. It came about in the month Nisan, which is four months after. That's the first month of the calendar year. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, so it's the same time, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine, and I gave it to the king. So Nehemiah was a very, uh, um, he was a man of great stature to be able to be in the king's presence, and on top of that, to be the actual cupbearer to the king. However, when he prayed this prayer, Lord, please grant me compassion, or please grant the, uh, today grant compassion before this man. Let me look. When this man looks at me, let him have compassion and hear me. But yet it took four months of this type of praying, day and night, for this to happen. And so we all can admire Nehemiah's faith and persistence and all that stuff. But I want to take a little bit of a deeper dive into this thing called prayer. There's something called the Shabuya Crossing. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's considered the most popular intersection in the world. It's in Shibuya, Tokyo, Japan. It's located right in front of a, a station that is named right after it. And it stops vehicles in all directions to allow pedestrians to inundate this crossway, this entire intersection. It looks a lot like Times Square. Several large TV screens are mounted on the clusters of buildings that overlook the crossing, as well as many advertisements. Starbucks is one of the largest Starbucks in the world is there, is overlooking the crossing. And its heavy foot traffic is constant throughout the whole day. Every time that light turns green and those cars stop, over 3,000 pedestrians walk and inundate those sidewalks and inundate that intersection and cross over, over 3,000. Now in scripture, we don't hear of many city intersections, but we often see the spiritual world intersect with our dimension. Now, a lot of times people think of heaven and, and, and it, you know, and we sang it, you know, God, you're beyond this galaxy. And he is, he, you know, he's beyond, he's, his grandeur is, is beyond anything that we can comprehend. Holy, holy, holy. But God dwells in the heavens. And the scripture teaches that the heavens aren't far out into outer space. The heavens are among us, but yet in a different dimension. We can't see the heavens right now. Now, certain times throughout the Bible, we've seen different people, beings, if you will, cross over into this dimension. We see angels in scripture. All of a sudden, uh, you know, Balaam, is, his eyes are opened and he sees what the donkey saw, the angel of the Lord standing there. He didn't see it before that, 
It was there. It crossed over into our dimension and then his eyes were open. We see demonic entities in scripture. We see the Lord himself manifest himself in scripture to people like Abraham. Now, although seeing these intersections take place would be a great phenomenon for us if we saw something from the spirit world come in and out or whatever. However, there is a greater intersection between heaven and earth than even these beings crossing into our dimension. And that great intersection between heaven and earth is something that is accessible to every single one of us. And that intersection I'm talking about is prayer. It's the place where man can meet and intersect with God's presence. We meet with God, not necessarily in a church building, not necessarily in a temple like they did in the Old Testament, but we truly are able to access God, full access due to the blood of Christ, through prayer. This mysterious yet powerful act allows man to go into the presence of his creator, speak with him, talk to him, enjoy his presence, petition him, worship him, regardless of where he is and regardless of when he wants to do it. It's the greatest intersection between heaven and earth. Now, this intersection is God's preferred form of communication for us. Obviously, he speaks to us through his word. He puts his spirit in us and we commune with God. But his preferred way for us to come to him through the scriptures is that of prayer. Praying and opening up our heart to him. Now, I believe today we see one of the most, uh, the best forms of prayer, the best model prayer in the Bible. One of the best. They're all great. They all have many things in common. So today we're going to look at prayer. This is not going to be an exhaustive sermon or series on prayer because that could take, we could do that all year, right? Because there's, we can never stop talking about it and it's all over the Bible. But I want to take, you know, reason why we go verse by verse is we want to look at what Nehemiah's prayer is about. Yes, we can compare it to others and even the prayer that Kevin read, but in the book of Acts, is very similar to this prayer. Okay, it starts out with honoring God and and, and proclaiming his greatness and proclaiming how awesome he is and beseeching him to hear us. But in Nehemiah's prayer, because of this context of Nehemiah getting ready to go, to, to want, on his heart, he wants to rebuild Jerusalem. He has the capability to do it. He sees that God has given him the skills he sees that God has given him the talents. He sees that God has given him the, uh, the, uh, the credibility before the king. So he says, I want to take some action on this. The first thing he does is he doesn't just run in and say, hey, King Artaxerxes, let me talk to you. No, he goes before God and beseeches him in prayer. So like I said, we'll, we looked at the covenantal perspective of this prayer. If you missed that sermon Two weeks ago, last week was Easter. The week before that, we went through this. And if you missed the, we also had an introduction as well. I would say if you plan on staying with us through this series, it's really helpful to go through those first couple sermons. I don't want to rehash everything. But I do want to know, I do want to talk about some practical steps from this prayer that we could take. And again, not exclusively, but just from Nehemiah. 
So with that said, we will look at the first point, which is Nehemiah entrusts himself to God. He entrusts his prayer to God. Now, he does this with three ways. Now, look at verse five. He says, I said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He comes to God and he, he knows when he prays, the number one thing he's praying with here is he's praying with faith. He actually believes that he is talking to the Almighty, the great and powerful God. Now, I know there's a lot of times people say, well, you know, I tried praying and it doesn't really work. And I hear this a lot from non-Christians. You know, I prayed and how come it didn't happen? Doesn't the Bible say if I pray and believe that it will, it will happen? Well, when we pray, first of all, we have to follow Nehemiah's example and we have to pray with faith, but we have to pray to the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He didn't go and pray to Abraham and say, oh, Abraham, I know you are in the bosom of the father. Please, I beseech you, go to God and ask him if it's okay for me to go before King Artaxerxes. He didn't do that. He did not do that. He had faith to go to God himself, directly to God. And because of the blood of Christ, we don't need any other intermediary at all to go to the Father. We have everything that we need in Christ, in his blood. We can access him fully. So Nehemiah, first thing he did is he prayed with faith to the one true God. Now, obviously, there is no other God. There are only lowercase gods, what the Bible says, aren't gods at all. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see. Mouths, but they can't speak. They're, they're gods that were made with human hands. God is the great and awesome God of heaven, the creator of all things. For us to come into his presence in any other way, we would be literally consumed. But we are able to come with faith, to the one and true only God. Now, Nehemiah here, he also secondly, not only with, with faith, but he also play, prays with wisdom. I love this because you see, he doesn't go, if you examine this prayer, he doesn't ask God to go and rebuild the walls. He doesn't say, look, God, uh, please allow me to go get permission to build the walls. I'm going to need timber. I'm going to need wood for the gates. I'm going to need uh, all these different things. And only the king can do this, God. Please, God, let me go build these walls. What does he do? No, he prays that God would prepare the heart of the king with compassion. Verse 11, O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion for this man, <clears throat> before this man. An amazing thing, amazing application. If I could say one thing about prayer, when you pray, before you go to someone, before you go out to approach someone, I don't care who it is, maybe you're going out to evangelize, maybe you're going on a job interview, 
Maybe you're about to speak with your wife about something. Maybe you're about to speak to a friend, whatever the case may be. Maybe you just got pulled over by a police officer for speeding. I don't know. Don't ask God to get you out of the ticket. Get him to give compassion. Get him to change the heart of that officer. Get him to change the heart of your husband or your wife. Ask him to change the heart of the person because you see, you are, God can do whatever he wants to do, but God is after that heart. And so he wants your heart, but he also wants you to have your, 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 all your ducks in a row when you're doing this. What's the first thing you should do is pray for the heart of that person. It should be the very first step. God, change their heart. I also like this prayer too, because it's not a long prayer. You know, sometimes we, we beat ourselves up if we pray too little in terms of the time. You know, we, I, I go, man, I'm going to go down and I'm, I'm just going to pray today, Lord. I'm going to pray for 20 minutes, all right? It's 20 of 12. I want to pray till 12 o'clock. And I go to before the Lord and I pour my heart out and I pray and I ask all these things and I look up and it's like, it's, it's two minutes later. So I'm like, I guess I just didn't pray. And I mean, I'm just, I don't know, Lord, am I rushing out of this prayer? And then I get caught up in all these other crazy questions when really I should just have wisdom and just know that God knows prayer isn't for me to try to sell God on something. Prayer is for me to get aligned with God on what his will is. That's how Jesus says, whenever you ask for in prayer, you will have as it's aligned into the will of God. He's not going to grant you anything or listen to anything outside of his will as it relates to making that thing happen. So when we pray, we need to not only use faith, but we also need to use wisdom. We don't have to give God every little tiny detail. Now, if you want to do that, God will be okay with it. There are some times where you need to just get it off your heart and you come to your heavenly father like, like a child would come and just, just that's fine. But no, you don't have to do that. You want to let the Holy Spirit to lead you in your prayer. Because the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, the Bible says. So we have an even greater thing. Not only does God call us to pray, but he's basically saying, I'll sort of do it for you if you just trusted me. So we get before the Lord. We ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and we pray doesn't have to be long-winded. It just, we just use wisdom and we entrust knowing subtly and humbly. We, we, we go before the Lord and we know that he knows before we even ask him. I love this one thing about God's, it says in verse six, it says, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. I thought that's pretty unique. You know, God, I'm praying to God. I want him to hear my prayer, but I also want his eyes open to hear my prayer. What does that mean for God's eyes to be open? <clears throat> you see, God doesn't, he, he, God isn't a man. God is a spirit. God is all present. He's everywhere at once. God doesn't just see with his eyes. God doesn't just hear with his ears. God knows there's actually nothing you could tell God and he will say, I didn't know that. Wow. Or, wow, you told me that? Well, I wasn't aware of that. 
He's aware of it. His eyes see all things. His eyes look right through your prayer, right into your heart. So, so Nehemiah doesn't just want one faculty of God to, 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 to respond to this prayer. He is saying, God, I want every, I, I'm, I'm transparent before you. Your ears, your eyes, Lord, hear my prayer. And I love how he prays with intensity. So he prays with faith, with wisdom, and he prays with intensity. This word, I beseech you, Lord. This word, this is like a, uh, it means a forceful wish. Now, of course, we don't wish when we pray to God. God, I wish this, I wish that. No, we don't wish, right? But that's the definition of a beseech. It's like a forceful petition to God. It's almost like it's coming from our gut. It's coming from every ounce of our being. And this is something we pray oftentimes when we're down or we're hurt or we're uh, in distress like Nehemiah was. Thinking about his, you know, his heritage here. Thinking about his people in Jerusalem. Thinking about the fact that he's under the Babylonian, uh, I'm sorry, the Persian Empire. Again, they're just always under. When, when are you going to deliver us, God? Oh, wait a minute. Let me just go to the Lord and turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Wow, check this out. Deuteronomy 30 says that if we're unfaithful to God, he's going to scatter us everywhere. But if we return to him and we turn from our evil ways, then he'll reunite us. And so this one man stood in the gap and he besought God with intensity. Now, it doesn't mean you have to sweat tears or sweat you know, drops of blood, although sometimes you will pray that way. It doesn't mean that you have to say it in a loud or commanding voice with King James language, you know, or anything like that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it's not that I'm talking about. Sometimes the most intense prayers are just prayers of silence. Just prayers of ultimate surrender and submission. This happens especially when we're, in a, when, when we're up against the wall or we have no other choice. We have nowhere to, we don't know what to do. The only thing we could do is go before the Lord. But we want to have that faith, that wisdom, and that intensity that Nehemiah brings. God, I'll tell you this right now. God is interested more than anything. He is not interested in your eloquent words when you pray. Okay? And I'm not saying eloquent prayers are bad. Well, if you've ever heard of some of Spurgeon's prayers. You know, or some of these uh, Puritan prayers. I mean, they're just, they blow me away. They're weighty, they're heavy, they're intense, they're in faith, they're, they're, they're great. But at the same time, God doesn't care about so much what you say. He cares about your heart. He cares about what's here. Where is your heart leaning in this prayer? Where are your motives? Is the motives for you to get something or is your motive for God's will to be done? Even if, it means, even if it means you won't get something, you know? And we have to be able to, 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 to go to God with this open heart because a lot of times we don't get those things that we, are, that we pray for and we don't know why they happen this way. But this is where we have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I know that you know my heart. You know where my heart is with this. Your heart is aligned with him. And so when your heart is aligned with him, you can roll with it and you can know that God is, has your best intent in mind and that he will work it out for good because you love him and because you're one of his children called for his, to his purposes. 
So Nehemiah, the first practical thing is he entrusts his prayer to God. Secondly, he persists in prayer. Verse 6 says he's praying day and night. Okay, now I guarantee you in these four months, Nehemiah just didn't pray this one time. That would really negate his whole prayer. To me, he would be a hypocrite if he only prayed once. And it does say he prayed day and night. But no, he persisted in prayer to God. And Jesus talks about this. The parable about the, the, the importunity of the man that just kept knocking, 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 knocking until the man woke up at night and said, what do you want? He goes, I need something. I have a guest that's visiting me. And Jesus says, if it wasn't for the fact that he, if he had stopped knocking, it wouldn't have ever happened. Seek and you will find. Seek me with all your heart and you'll find me. These are verses of, of severe persistence. God isn't, like I say, I like to say, he's not a cheap date. He's not. I mean, we got to work for this on our end. He's holy, holy, holy. Now, I'm not saying our salvation. I'm not saying that we have to work together. But God enjoys seeing this true, authentic relationship of petition. This true, heartfelt relationship of, of adopted son and father, of intense prayer to him, persistent day in and day out. Billy Graham said when he was at, on his last days, what are your regrets? He, he listed a couple regrets, but he said the number one was that he, wishes, he wished that he spent more time with his family because he traveled a lot. And number two was that he wished that he spent more time in prayer. This was a guy, I don't know if you ever read his, his stuff, but he was a man of prayer. And he was one of the most used evangelists in our time. And this man was a fiery preacher. I loved his sermons. I mean, he was, I remember watching him when I was a kid and I got to see him one time live uh, in New York before, right before he retired. But this was a man of prayer. And that really, really shocks me to hear him say that. But it's true. We can never pray enough. We can never go to our heavenly father enough. Now, the key is to become, is to pray to God, but to, to, to live in a spirit of prayer. The key is to live in a spirit of prayer where we're constantly in the presence of God, cognitively in his presence, deliberately making him our constant companion where we go and what we do. That's a spirit of prayer. And so when you're in a spirit of prayer, it's very easy to stop and pray. You'll find yourself when you're in a spirit of prayer, you're, maybe you're sitting in a, in a parking lot waiting for your husband or wife to go in the store, who knows, or you're waiting to check in at your job and you just say, you know what? I'm not even, the radio's off. You don't have the radio on because you want to pray because you've been in a spirit of prayer. You're driving and you start praying to God out loud. You're, you go to bed at night and you lay down and you say, you know what, I'm just going to think about the Lord and pray to the Lord as I go to sleep. Now, all that is, becomes all the excess when you become that persistent person of prayer. When you have deliberate prayer, that regular spirit of prayer starts to become natural. And then you see yourself in this amazing communion with God. How about you? Are you serious about pursuing God right now about that thing you're struggling with? Whatever it is. 
Are you serious about uh, what God wants you to do when you're asking him for direction in your life? I see a lot of young people here, some getting married, some are married, some are, are single. Are you seeking God for the rest of your life for a spouse? Are you persistent with that? These are the things that God wants you to do because we often pray. We say we're serious. I'm going to get my, you know, we got to get praying. And then we start to pray and then our fervency sort of fades away. But Nehemiah prayed specifically We're assuming in tears, he sat down and wept and mourned for days when he heard the news. And he was fasting and praying before the Lord. His fervency didn't go. He kept that fervency. See, what happens is, is we start to pray and we'll, maybe we'll mess up in our life or we feel like, oh man, uh, you know, how can I go before God if I did this? We start to doubt, we disbelieve, or we simply Fake the faith funk. We fake it with God sometimes. We'll just go through the motions and we just die off. But God wants us to know that the day, if we're all privileged enough to have a deathbed and lie on it, we, God wants you to know that you will want to make sure that you have taken every opportunity to commune with him and pray. I remember when I first, um, I may have said, told the story before, I'm not sure. But I, when I first became converted and I wanted to go into ministry right, right away, I've shared that with you guys, but I wasn't sure what to do. And uh, my wife and I, um, sh- we had no kids at the time and I wanted to um, go into ministry. And the Lord and everybody was saying, you know, maybe you should go back into business for a while, you know, uh, because I had had a pretty successful business. I lost it, and then I had got converted, and now I didn't want anything to do with that. I just I started washing cars and just doing whatever I could. And I had a major struggle, so I started to really seek the Lord. And somebody told me, I said, how do I know? I was a new Christian. I said, how do I know? Because I'm all over, all over the place. Like one day I think God wants me to go back in the business. The next day I'm, I, I feel like, oh, you of little faith, step out, you know? Go to the mission field, you know what I mean? I didn't know what to do. So I want to give you what really God used in my life, and I still use it to this day, is that I took a time to pray of the specific thing about my life, ministry or business. And I prayed every day. And at the end of the day, I, I created a spiritual journal for this prayer. How is God speaking to me on this today? And you would may think like, hmm, how is God speaking to me? No, it was like every day I'm running. Where's my journal? Like the Lord just spoke to me through this. I was just reading one of the Psalms and I just felt this and I wrote it down. And then the next day I'm talking to someone at church and they're telling me this. And then I meet somebody who had the very same situation happen. And after 30 days, remember, I had this journal and I looked through and the answer was there every single day. Go back in your business, not ministry. And that's what I did. And so, and then the Lord ended up blessing me anyway by the business that I chose. I ended up having more of an opportunity to share the gospel there than I would have if I went into ministry right away. So I encourage you, if you're doing this, pray to the Lord, fervency, persistent, not just winging prayers up here and there, but camp out with the Lord for a month on a certain issue before you make a decision. If it's a big decision, obviously, right? If your wife is telling you to clean the garage, you don't need to do this. Just clean it. 
Okay? Mow the, mow the lawn, guys. All right? You don't have to do that. Look, I'm praying about this, Lord. And, and your wife is not going to buy it if, if, if you say at the end of those 30 days, the Lord is leading you to hire a landscaper. It's not happening. So <clears throat> he waited, Nehemiah. He did this. He waited. He pursued God. And he waited on the Lord for four months because he was the cupbearer to the king in, verse, in chapter one. In that ninth month. But then on the verse two of chapter two, where he actually goes before the king and gets the king's attention is four months later. He didn't go there and do anything. He didn't say anything to the king that whole time. He waited for for the right opportunity. He waited for the Lord to open the heart of the king. He didn't push. It does say his face was a little sad, so maybe he he, he milked it a little bit and was looking, the king would look at him and he'd put his head down. You know, he was going to ask me today. And finally the king says, hey, what's going on with you? And there it was. And I love it. As soon as the king says it, he goes, then the king said to me, this is, you don't have to go there, but this is chapter two, verse four, because this is about prayer too. I don't want to rehash this next week when we go in it. He says, then the king said to me, what would you request? And you know what Nehemiah did? He prayed right there. He goes, so I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor in your eyes, send me to Judah, to the city of my father, so that I may rebuild it. So he then threw up that prayer right there. He prayed to the God, right? He didn't say, the king says, what is this? You know, you look a little sad. What's going on? I'll be right back. And he walked away and he got in his place and he started praying. Nope. What the inference is, is he said, hey, what's going on with you? You look a little sad. And in his heart right there, because he was a man of prayer, because I believe these four months, maybe even before that, he was a man in spirit, constant prayer, in a spirit of prayer, he prayed to the Lord right at that instant. And God honored that little itty bitty prayer, you think, but it's been, it, was the, it was everything. It was the combination of all this that God wanted Nehemiah to see. And Nehemiah's faith, I'm sure, blew out of the water. It was probably an amazing, amazing time. So he, the, the, he, he waited on the Lord. He persisted, but he also relied on God's promises. See, he wasn't afraid to approach God based on past sins because he knew God and he knew his promises. And a lot of times we're, we're afraid to, to approach God because of sins of our past or sins that we may be struggling with, and we, we're afraid to come and approach him. But God's never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when he puts a promise down in this book, this promise is solid gold. It's not contingent on anything. God's will will happen. His promises will come to, his promises will come to pass. Amen. Amen. So <clears throat> this allows Nehemiah to hold God to his promises of redemption, like I explained. Lord, you said if we return, you'll be there. We, you, you'll, you'll bring us back if we return to you. Now, what promises do you rely on with God? Do you ever have a time where you're thinking and you go, well, God promises. I know, obviously, we, we, we rely on God for the promise of our salvation, right? Because we, we know that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and there's nothing that can take us out of his hand. Right, So we go to the scripture and we rely on the promises. So if you're doubting your salvation, 
and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you could go to God in prayer with those promises and say, Lord, as you said, you'll never leave me nor forsake me. And one of the things that I love specifically in this lane about the promises of God is that he gives us a promise of peace when we go to him in prayer. Isaiah 26, three to four, the steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. I like the King James, he uh, whose mind is set on you, you will keep him in perfect peace. And that's the truth. When we keep our minds set on God, we have perfect peace. And we know the Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God will guard your heart. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. There's nothing to do with getting what you want, saying it in a different way. Because I don't know about you, But when I have peace about something, okay, cool, Lord, your will. I got the peace of it, the peace of God on this. There's other things that I do that I don't have the peace of God on sometimes, right? We we, we don't really have that peace. I say, did I really go in, did I go in prayer with this? Did I do it the right way? But we have the promise of peace when we go to God in prayer. And so find those promises. And I, when I, uh, another thing that I did in, in the very beginning, and I still have this Bible, I love to go through my first Bible. Okay, old King James Bible. It's in better shape than this one, but it's, it's banged up pretty much. And I, I'll never forget, what, the guy that was disciple me said, go through the Bible and put the letter P next to every promise that you see in the Bible. That's universal, because obviously there are some specific promises in context to Israel, to other people, but there are hundreds of promises in the Bible for all of us. And even the ones to Israel, we can get application from. So you put P, and he actually told me to put P and put C next to the ones that are a command. So that Bible has all P's and C's all over it. Go through the Bible and find the promises of God. When you get a special highlighter, that when you read through your daily reading and you see the pro- a promise to you from God, highlight it. And then when you start your prayer sometimes, before you start praying, go to that and, and, and read some of those promises to get your heart right with the Lord. And then praise the Lord God of heaven, the amazing, awesome, great God, for those promises like Nehemiah does. Now, finally, what he does is he repents in his prayer to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I think almost every time I go before the Lord, I have to do some sort of repenting to God. Every time I go, God, examine my heart. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Lord, you know, forgive me for the way that I spoke to my wife. Forgive me for the, for the anger that I have towards her right now. Joking. Forgive me for all those not. Forgive me for the, you know, for, for not depending and trusting on you uh, in, in this situation. And so Nehemiah shows us this pattern of repentance. He not only repents for his own sins and his father's sins, but he repents for the sins of his his people because he wants to go to God and hold God to this promise that if they turn and repent and come back, then he will restore them. So Nehemiah is standing in the gap. Leaders... Pray for their people. Leaders stand in the gap for those around them. 
And that's everybody in this room should aim to be that. If you are somebody that's a father, a husband, a mother, a wife, you name it, a sister, a brother, a grandmother. Thank you. She always, Pat's like, you never say grandmother. You always say father. Thank you, Pat. Everyone, we have to stand in the gap. And that's what, that's what Nehemiah is doing right here. I love Job 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He, it says, when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all, his children. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. We see Paul, he, he, he writes in Corinthians about, out of much affliction, affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with tears. He's standing in the gap. And that's what we all should do. We should pray for our children. We should pray for our friends. We should pray for our, our fellow brothers and sisters that are a part of our fellowship. We need to be standing in the gap for, for, for those that are around us. As Jesus said too, I ask, he was in the gap. He said, I don't ask on behalf of the world, but those whom you've given me, for they are yours. Jesus was that, and so was David. After David took the census in 2 Samuel, and God was going to punish him, he said, Lord, behold, it's I who have sinned, and it's I who have done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. So this is a, a picture of prayer that stands in the gap. <clears throat> and he's very specific about it. God will always forgive his people when they turn and repent. But it has to be godly repentance. It can't be repentance of the world because the Bible says that leads to death. Worldly repentance leads to death. Worldly repentance is not turning your heart not changing your mind, but just going through the motions, not really thinking that that's wrong. Well, I don't really agree with you with that, God. Remember, we talked to a couple months back that confession is what? Agreeing with God on your sin. And so this is what true repentance is. True repentance is godly repentance. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 Psalm 32, three to five. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. That was, that's what leads to death. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with a fever in the heat of the summer, Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity. I did not hide. I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgive the guilt of my sin. This is an amazing promise for the sorrow that is according to the, <clears throat> to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. A repentance with regret is also another sign of non true, non godly repentance. Have no regrets. Have no regrets about that sin. Don't look back and be turned into a pillar of salt. You want to take your sin to God, turn it, turn from it, and you may not know how you're going to overcome, but God does. He's going to, you've done it. You've done what you can do. Now the spirit of the Lord is going to work on you and he's going to change your heart. 
we can come to God just as freely as Nehemiah here, if not even more freely because we have Christ. He has obtained a more excellent ministry. He is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Nehemiah just had, he, he was lost in Persia. He, he was taking a shot in the dark. We have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We have the New Testament. We know the, how the story ends. We're able to come to prayer with God through the blood of Christ. So if you were taking notes, the first point was Nehemiah entrusts his prayer to God with faith, with wisdom, and with intensity. He persists in his prayer to God. How? Praying day and night. Not just token prayers, but making a serious plan that I am going to pray to the Lord. I am going to persist. And I was telling you, get into that spirit of prayer where you're communing with God. And obviously, Nehemiah, we just covered, he repents with godly sorrow for himself and also standing in the gap as a leader for his people. So what could we take from all this other than maybe a few of those bites? One of the best pictures here that I see that Nehemiah is showing us is that Nehemiah is a type of Christ. Nehemiah is a type of Christ. He is standing in the gap for his people. He is standing in the gap. He's willing to go before the king and risk death. He's willing to travel 800 miles, probably on some sort of wagon or chariot or whatever they did back then on horses, whatever, 800 miles to Jerusalem, risking his life because he knows people don't want to do it. And this is what Jesus did for us. God wants us to believe in Jesus Christ. Once we believe in Jesus Christ, we become in Christ. And then that allows us to be that person of prayer, constantly being able to come in and out of the throne room, regardless of what it is. And then, of course, we then can be that to, for the world. As, as Christ is to us, as he's that, he stands in the gap, God wants us to go out and stand in the gap through prayer for the world as well. So with that said, go out. And I, I really, I'm, I'm really challenging you guys here. Take that one thing you're struggling with and get serious business with God in prayer about it. Maybe you're not struggling with anything. Or maybe, you're, maybe it's one of those times where, you know what, there's things going on, but you're, things are going pretty good in your life. Ramp it up. Get closer with the Lord. Take him for his word. Take him for his promises. And if you don't know Christ, again, you can't pray to God. He's the only way. And what we do is we, we, we repent, we turn from that other belief, we turn from all the other things of the world, and we put our faith in Christ, that he can save us, that his blood covers us, that like as we celebrated last week, that he rose again on the third day and lives forever at the right hand of God. Let's pray. Father, as I pray right now, I'm humbled before you, Lord, not being able to even live up to anything that I just said. And I just, Father, ask for your grace. I ask, Father, for your help for each of us here to become more people of prayer, that we would stand in the gap, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in our church, for our brothers and sisters around the world, for our families, and, Lord, for the will that you have for our lives, that you would guide us, God. Make us people of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.